Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. I would like to tell you a story. Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest knife treat ovens available. Find your next heat treat oven at evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk, the podcast for knife enthusiasts, anybody interested in knives, or anybody just interested in listening to three middle-aged men mildly entertainingly talking hey, about knives. I'm not knives. fucking middle-aged. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly middle-aged. You guys are fucking old. <laughs> Mr. Sets, hey, no, are we going to go after us right off the bat? Come on, man. So <laughs> I'm 34. I'm not middle-aged. All right. I'm not so trying to, to die keep... at 70. <laughs> So who's here? It's myself, it's Craig from Chop Knives, we've got Jeff from Fader Knives, and we've got Moreco Malmasi from Malmasi Fire Arts. How's it going? What have we all been up to this week? Let's start with Moreco. What have you been up to? Uh, I got uh, I got a, a new blade forged out. It's uh, it's forged from W2, and I'm doing a homone. I'm doing the... Actually, actually we talked about homones a couple episodes back, mm-hmm. maybe three episodes back now. Uh, I did the technique where I applied the clay on and then brought the whole blade up to temperature and let it soak and then quenched it into a fast oil. I quenched it in the Parks 50 that I actually heated up to about 100 degrees. Uh, by heating the oil, you make it more viscous, or not viscous, but it, if it's thinner. And so it, it actually uh, quenches the steel faster by heating the oil, mm. which sounds counterintuitive. But that went really well. Robert Burns Wilderness Ironworks uh, came up, uh, or came down actually from Massachusetts, came out and hung out uh, one day. That was pretty sweet. Hang out with him. He's a really great guy. Uh, still working on those calendars. Actually got a proof for uh, for the calendar. Nice. And there's definitely, I'm glad we got the proof. Uh, there's some adjustments that we need to make. Uh, and, but other than that, I got, you know, I got three, four knives going right now at the same time. That's probably the most I've had going all at the same time for a few years now. I've started doing more overlap and trying to just trying to be more effective and more efficient with my time with these custom builds. But sometimes, you know, they really require some uh, some serious attention. So once that happens, uh, you know, forging them all at the same time mm, or yeah. primary grinding or heat treating all at the same time makes sense. But once you get into the detailed stuff, then I have to focus in on just one. Um, but it just helps economize and get the most out of my time. And, uh, oh, I, I did a, I did a drawing the other day trying to figure out the math for how, how much volume or how many cubic inches, uh, I start with and why. And originally I just, kept, it's been a, a trial and error thing. Uh, I, when I first started, I was using, starting with tons of material cause I was always terrified uh, that I, I was going to forge a blade out and not have enough material, but I always ended up with 
way too much material. And as I practiced and got more efficient with my forging too, forging in distal tapers and taper down to the cutting edge, that means that's less material that you need as well. Uh, I started pulling it down and down and down until I got to, I started, until I got, had gone too far. Maybe I was forging a nine inch chef's knife. And then uh, I ended up with only an eight inch chef's knife. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I need a little bit more material than that. And, uh, and so I found that for like a nine to nine inch, nine and a half inch chef's knife, I, uh, I need to start with about three and a half cubic inches. And so the other day I had this idea to kind of break it down into geometry basically. And I drew up a right triangle, uh, that was two and a quarter, quarter inches wide by, you know, nine inches long by, uh, uh, what, like a quarter inch deep. And then I did the same thing with the bolster, uh, right triangle, one inch by one inch, um, and by one inch deep. And then the tang at four inches long, quarter inch deep and half inch tall. And then just did the math and it, it came out to be three. Let's see if I can remember off the top of my head is 3.53125 cubic inches. So basically three and a half cubic inches. And I was like, holy shit, I should have done this a long time. Long time ago, so I'll uh, I'll post those. I have all those pictures. I'll post them up, and I actually got a little walkthrough that we can post up on our IGTV. Cool. Um, that I think would be helpful. That's good. To folks. That's good because yeah. everyone just stopped the the podcast to get a pen and paper, and they're gonna re- rewind it all <laughs> so they can listen to that again. Go ahead. Uh, but that's it. I've got a yeah, question just... regarding your your hormones that you've been working on. So. Do you yeah, prefer sure. a hammone that's almost like a straight line, or do you do one of those like sawtooth kind of hammones? Well, what's your preference? Yeah, I like I like to when I'm doing a hammone, I like I like it to have activity. I like it to have character, mm-hmm. and I think traditionally speaking, I mean, while there were some uh, hammones that were very uh, straight, or I guess ran parallel to the cutting edge, uh, I guess I guess for me personally, the ones that stand out and really grab me the most have a lot of activity i don't do a lot of hormones and it is definitely an area uh that i would love to dive deeper into and spend more time in i have a lot of solid material to work with to practice that but it's just a matter of practicing it and figuring out you know how thick or how thin do you uh put the clay on um hmm. for certain materials and and you know how to like just the the control to draw out the tent kind of like what become what are called the ashi which are like these wispy cloudy kind of ghostly uh things that end up in the hormone or in the blade too and uh like if you go check out uh what is it will morris knives um he's from australia and will morrison sorry buddy if you're listening will morrison knives he's he's intense he his work is phenomenal but his control his ability to draw out kind of the 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 bubbles of clay uh cuz they're in like a clay water mixture kind of form is incredible the the amount of control he has for pulling those down to these very fine points and uh the activity he gets is awesome it's absolutely awesome i love it and so um yeah and maybe he's it's just a little, videos maybe it's just the temperature where he's He's using like a toothpick to like pull that pull those little lines down. Yeah. It's almost it's very uh specific. Hormones are tricky though. It could be the temperature. I you know, maybe I'm quenching from too high and so it's getting too much of an act 
opportunity to harden in a way. Some uh, some people will only quench from just barely inside the austenite range, uh, so that when they go to quench the blade, it only has literally like half a second or so to mm. get below, you know, the tar- below the perlite nose, and while the rest of it does not, uh, you know, the stuff with the clay on it doesn't get a chance to do that, and there that's where you get your activity, but. Uh, I mean, that might be the next thing. That'll probably be the next easiest thing for me to play with is the temperature. <laughs> but anyways, it's fun. And these are, these are mono steels you're talking about now, not, not Damascus. Yeah, this is mono steel. Yeah. This, is, this is W2 high carbon steel. Gotcha. Yeah. Jeff, what have you been up to? Wow. You know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Um, Monday Hustling. was crazy. I got contacted by the CIA. That's the Culinary Institute of America, just to let you know. And... Uh, they wanted me to do something with their 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 social media and marketing department contacted me. I'm not too far from them, so they uh, they reached out and I'm going to do something with them, which is which was super cool. And then um, that was really fun. That was a fun way to start the day. And then uh, we sold some knives, and I got some oyster knives finished up, and that was really really good. And now I'm Those on to yeah, you know, oyster knives are. Oyster knives are great because I and I, you know I get reached out by a lot of knife makers about oyster knives. I, I think there's this misconception that oyster that it's an oyster knife. It doesn't have to, they don't not supposed to be sharp. Yeah, they're no supposed to be. You know, you got to see an oyster knife more like a pry bar yeah. than like something like a paring knife, like a letter so, opener <laughs> almost. Yeah, exactly. Actually, you know what? That's one hundred percent. So I started making oyster knives uh, after you know my you know. Uh, it just came to the point where we're just like, let's make a couple oyster knives, and I thought, yeah, these things aren't going to do anything. And and then uh, they've become they've become. I do two different styles based on the two different ways you open oysters, and and they've become this really interesting um, product for us, really, because you know if somebody wants to buy one of my knives, but they don't want to spend that much money, or they or you know when you see the oyster knives and you see the pricing of it all, it's like, yeah, this is much more attainable. So what we're getting is a lot more. We get a lot more. Uh, um, we get a lot more movement with oyster knives. It's just sure. you know, and it's they're they're fun to make and they're great. And um, so yeah, so we put them up and they're they're flying around. So there were a lot of phone calls over the weekend with me and Tony to figure out what we're going to do next. So that's good. And then um, I took a yoga class on Friday night and I feel great. This was the first weekend I've taken both days off, and I took a yoga class. And let me tell it. you something. Let me tell you Full something. Full of thoughts. I, I feel Full of thoughts, that room. I here, uh, Here's here's something interesting. So when I was hand-sending the oyster knives, I was listening to the Joe Rogan uh, podcast with uh, Kevin Hart. And oh, they were such talking a good about, episode. Eh, it was all right. It was what? <laughs> I love that Hart, episode. Kevin oh, Hart so was good. In, he wasn't, you know, fine. Kevin Hart was, you know, he was doing his thing. It was fine. He was great. Yeah, it was great. Did you great listen to the whole thing? <laughs> I did listen to the whole thing. I mean, but it was just like, all right, all right positivity. All right, got it. It's a joke or two. So, um, <laughs> so, so they were talking about the the the. Uh, they were talking about uh, yoga class, and I guess Joe said, "Well, what the?" I guess Kevin said, "I'm afraid of the farts and the smells." And he says, "Well, if you go in the morning, you don't eat anything. If you don't eat anything, then there's not you're not going to hmm. fart." So I, I I I said, "All right, well, I'm not going to eat anything before we go to this yoga class." But I was so hungry. It was at night. So I ate a pile of uh, cashews, and I thought, ah, these things are going to be fine. I'm not going to have any problems with these cashews. So I get in there, and then, um, 
you know, it was great. It was, it was, uh, there wasn't that many people there, but the, the, I had to, they put me in front of this older woman in the old, I was like, ah, you don't want me, you don't want to be looking at me the whole time. And then she's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. I'm like, I might not be fine in a few minutes. And then, <laughs> she was uh, popping out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to blow out, blow that old bitch out the water, but no, it, she, she was fine. I held it together and, uh, I tell you what, man, I felt super limber. I felt super loose. I was so tired afterwards. I slept like a baby. I'm going to try to do that more often. I felt really, really good. And then and then uh, when the city saw, uh, went to Guggenheim, saw an awesome art exhibit at the Guggenheim, and I had a great day with my family, and uh, here we are. Boom. Nice. 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 Good to hear you relaxing yeah. and getting away from the uh, workshop. Ah, I paid... I paid at the office, you know. I I I, uh, I did that. I did that crazy month, and now I, you know, gave myself some room to to just have a enjoy a beautiful spring day in New York City on Saturday. It was just fantastic. Just great, yeah. great day. Nice, lovely. That's great, man. Craig, what about you, Craigie? What's up? Well, I've had a, a week of two halves. So the first week was in the shop um as people know i'm getting it ready for it to be a retail space as well so i've been making i've been i've been welding which i really really enjoyed doing and it was just some simple nice. stick welding projects where i made some pedestals to put you know grinders up on these pedestals that kind of thing um i've been working on the design of the the jamie knife so again on the show we talked about a few weeks ago um making a knife for jamie oliver um, it's actually his twentieth anniversary of the of his first show, the the Naked Chef. So it's been oh, wow. all over the TV here in the UK. As, as I'm back in the UK, by oh. the way, I'm back in the UK this week. Holy shit! Again, Are you kidding me? it's been back and forth, back <laughs> and forth. But it's a long. That's I won't go into. That's a long story. I won't go into that. Um, <laughs> but I've been working on the design of this Jamie knife, and I've come up with this real sort of retro style handle. Um, again, looking at his older stuff that, you know, that it's 20 years old now, but even then he had this sort of retro style, you know, so th- this, this retro handle knife is going to be pretty cool. Um, have you talked to him about it? I all? haven't. I've spoken to somebody in his team, so I know he's going to be getting the knife and all the rest of it, but I haven't spoken to him directly. So they didn't give you any like, here's what he likes, here's what he doesn't like. They didn't, they didn't. And again, I've been doing a bit of homework because, you know, he's, he's got, Hundreds of shows up now. And, you know, he's using a different knife in virtually every show. I don't think he has a, a favoured knife. And more of the recent stuff, he's using more sort of Japanese-style knives, but the older stuff is Western knives. I don't do Japanese knives anyway, so it's going to be a Western-style knife, whether he likes it or not. But, uh, but yeah, I think I've got, the, I've, got, I've got the styling down now. It's really cool. And, and actually, thanks to you guys, because basically it's going to be a blue G10, but it's going to have three stripes in the handle. So it's going to have a yellow, orange, red stripe. Um, so almost like a really sort of retro sort of rainbow effect. They'll be at an angle. So from looking at the top of the handle, they're going to be almost like chevrons. Um, but I was thinking, oh, I like that. I was thinking the easiest way to do that is just to get a, a sheet of G10 and just cut strips off and use it that way. So the cut side would be the way that you'd see on the handle, the visible side. But I was worried about the layers showing. And I, I spoke to I spoke to well, both of you guys this week about that, and you're saying, Yeah, you're gonna see these layers. So I I'm using Perspex instead, just for these stripes. So they'll polish up beautifully, so that it'll be a really sort of shiny stripe in there. And as I say, this yellow, orange uh, red. Really looking forward to making that knife. So as soon as I'm back in France, which is gonna be next week now, um, I'll be on that. 
Um, also working with my brother, which has been really nice. So my brother is a, a CNC operator, so he makes um, oh, custom wow. scenery for films and for theatre, that kind of thing. Oh, wow. Um, mainly all wood, wood stuff, but, you know, using CNCs. Sure. Um, so I mentioned in that most of my work at the moment is steak knives for restaurants. And the, the biggest um, problem I have when trying to sell these to restaurants is like they're saying, well... We don't really want to put out these knives of high value out to customers because that's another job for the for the waiting staff to make sure they come back and they don't want to be losing knives, that kind of thing. So we come up with this idea of a, of a, a rack that can be put out at out the back where they've got table numbers on um, so you can count them in and out. If, if, if you can see all the knives, if there's a knife missing, you know what table it should be on. Um, so that sort of counteracts that argument I'm getting from restaurant owners and restaurant managers saying, well, you know, we, we need to know where the knives are. So all the restaurant orders now, they're going to be having one of these custom steak knife racks as well so they can track exactly where the knives are. It's sure. a good idea. And they, they look really cool. So they've got this Perspex cover to them then as well so you can't, you know, you can't cut yourselves on the knives and they've got the the logo of the restaurant on the perspex and it's it, it, it looks really provide i'll put up some pictures when, when we get the first one back um what is perspex perspex is a uh, acrylic it's acrylic plastic oh okay um so it, it so it's like so it's like okay like so it's like plexiglass yeah it's, it, i think it's a poured resin basically so you, you're not getting huh. any of these lines or you know anything like that because you know they can make them clear as well Right. Um, so yeah, so it, it's been good. But then the later part of the week, um, traveling back to the UK again, and I said, I'm, I'm, I'm here now. We're basically stuck here for the week. Um, but yeah, itching, itching to get back to France. These these poor babies, these poor babies of mine. They're on. The, I think they're on their eighth flight. They're only fourteen weeks old. It's crazy. Holy smokes! Crazy. It's wow. good for that. It's good, good for their immune system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? Yeah. <laughs> So Adam Perry Lang at his restaurant, APL, they have those felon knives is what they call them is the felon knives. And uh, Jimmy DeResta actually helped build a case for for housing all the different knives. And so uh, the case is always full and they have extra that are hanging out that actually go out onto the floor. Mm. But the way that they do those knives instead of every table getting any table that needs a steak knife getting one, it, it's kind of uh, you have to you have to request one. And if you request one, then it is pulled out of a separate separate set of you know cutlery and you know table cutlery mm. flatware, um, and so when it goes to a table, they know it's going to a table just like it's uh, you know like they have to make sure that anything goes to the table, their steak or whatever else is going, and so it's on they, the order. It makes it easy. Yeah, it's part of the order, so they know that. They sh- should be getting a, a knife back from that table, and so while it sounds like I don't know, kind of a pain in the ass, it also helps keep people from, or it helps, I guess, keep every table from getting one. It kind of cl- creates this level of like specialness, or and also um, a kind of I don't know what you, you want to call it. Not, it, I don't know. It's it's just it, exclusivity. It creates, exclusivity, yeah. yeah. It, and it almost sounds like a gimmick, but it's not really a gimmick. Because the reality is that Adam and uh, Adam made all of these knives, <laughs> and so they're all handmade himself. And so he also has some of his own personal equity and invest 
investment in them with his own time and so he doesn't want those damn things walking out the door either so hmm. um but well, yeah that whole that whole it became a story to the point where it was a national story of how he priced them so if you steal one there it's a it's priced that it becomes a felony if you steal it so yeah. i heard uh, all about it on npr and i'm thinking like oh you're broadcasting this whole you're broadcasting this to like people to be clever, you know. I think. Yeah. Well, it was you know that's a tricky thing with the, uh, these expensive, you know, uh, uh, steak knives. Is how do you, you know, people are going to walk with them. Yeah. You have to figure out a way that, and it's not. I don't. I don't personally. I don't think that it's the knife maker's responsibility to prevent your f- customers from stealing them. I think it's a. It's a way. It's a you know a, a system where your your waiters you don't get that check unless you get that bill back. Yeah. I mean, you get that, uh, you get that steak knife back. I, 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 I kind of honestly, as someone who's been in the restaurant business, I resent to, to a certain degree the restaurants asking the knife maker to figure out how they're not going to be stolen. You know, it's not your responsibility. You make the knives. It's their responsibility to figure out how their stupid waiters are going to figure out how to get the knives. Yeah, back. yeah I think it's a valid question for them to ask. If you're trying to sell them something, sure. their, their response will be, how do I but, make sure they're not being stolen? But what I'm finding is that the, the this first bunch of restaurants that I'm doing work for, let's say the first one, for example, it's it's one of Tommy Banks's restaurants. And um, what he tends to be, his sort of evening, evening dinner is eight courses. Um, each course comes in very specific with very specific cutlery and the tableware is very different for each course. It almost sets a theme. So the, mm. the steak knife is only actually being used for one course. So they know when they clear off that course, they know that the, 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 my steak knives are part of that course. They come away and the next course they'll have something else. So so that's what I'm finding with them. And, and again, I mean, I've got three restaurants now waiting these knives. Um, they all seem to be. They seem to have a a steak course or a beef course within within a much much larger menu. Um, so it should be easier for the waiting staff to realise that you know, okay, they, well, this is the beef course, but let's take all of this away. And I, going back to Tommy Banks, I mean, he's even the plates, all the tableware, he's getting everything custom made for every single course. Oh, wow. So yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a it's a bit of theatre, it's a bit of drama there. Um, so it, it should be easier in that respect for those types of restaurants, I think, to keep to keep track of what's what. Um, and also, you know, I'm making more, so he, he's going to have some to sell as well. So at every course, you get a little with the menu. You, you know who's made the plates, you know who's made the knives, and you can buy them there as well. They'll they'll hold stock. So if people do, you know, they go into oh, wow. this fancy restaurant and they do want, you know, a something to take home as a memento for the, you know a special meal, they can actually buy one of my knives or you know somebody's plate or somebody's whatever it may be they they, they sell it all there as well yeah and just so we're a thousand percent clear 30 years ago no one would be asking the knife maker how do you prevent the people from stealing the service industry has gone so down the tubes in terms of how service is considered in restaurants now that that now they're like we're you know it's the the cart but you know they're they're they've the it's a disaster in terms of figuring out how to do proper service if there was a you know 30 years ago they would have been like they would have been like we want to buy our knives and that's the end of it don't worry about how they're gonna get stolen that's our department now it's just like we suck how you how you, can you prevent us from not sucking so bad it's so stupid it's annoying I, it annoys the shit out of me to be honest with you well there's, there's a lot going on you know a modern restaurant it's not just going out for food these it's, days it's you know it's, you want you want an experience at all 
but it's not as much more than it was 30 years ago. Mm. It's not, there's not there's not much of a difference. There's not much of a difference in terms of there's just an, a different expectation of how service is supposed to be, yeah. and there it's just you know look who cares? <laughs> go sell your go ahead. I just don't. I just it bothers me that like I understand they're like well what can we do about this? Go figure out how why people are stealing from your stupid restaurant. That's the number two. You know? Yeah. No, I see. I completely see what you mean. Completely, it, it's not our problem that you know the security of our. And trust me, sell them. you talk to restaurant guys. You, if you listen to uh, overseas podcast, that's uh, Tony's podcast with restaurant guys. They don't have a high. They don't have a high uh, opinion of the people, the restaurant business either. <laughs> so it's like this is not. I'm not like. I'm like, whoa, Jeff's going bad on the restaurant business. I'm like, no, no, no. This is a fact. Some of these people are <laughs> morons. They're morons. Let's move on with our first sponsor. Yeah, right. <laughs> so last week we uh, we talked about this new sponsor, which is Clarix Metalworks, which is clarixmetalworks.com. They make these fantastic grinders that are unlike any other grinder I've seen. They can they can be positioned in any sort of any sort of space. They can be up, down, left, right, all the rest of it. Um, horizontal grinders, any point in between, vertical and horizontal. You can have your platen laying back, laying forward, and it, it does it all. Um, we've got a discount for all of our listeners. Um, so if you go to clericsmetalworks.com and use Knife Talk 5, you'll get 5% discount off their BG Pro V2 grinder, which is their top-of-the-line grinder. It comes with the VFD. It's got three different configurations of you know different speeds, uh, sorry, different motors, that kind of thing. Fully articulated to arrest. So again, that can be at any point in space. Um, just really, really, really smart grinders that you can use very, you know, they're just very, very flexible. The controls are on the base, so you don't have to go around the back to get EVFT to change speeds. It's, it's just really, really nice. Tool tray to hold your little wheels. It's It's got it all. Got it all. Um, so go to clericsmetalworks.com and use Knife Talk 5. If you're getting one, let us know. Um, I've just ordered one. It should have been delivered this week, but I'm not in France. So it's been delivered to a neighbour. So I can't wait to get back to open this bad boy up and ha- have a good play with it. Um, but they're, they're just so impressive. They're so impressive. So go and take a look. Clarixmetalworks.com. Hey, Craig, it's me, your neighbour. <laughs> Jacques, I have a big box here. What the fuck is this? <laughs> He's aware. He knows what, what it is. is this? <laughs> <laughs> what is this? Who is this motherfucker? <laughs> Uh, hey man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> What's up? All right, so this is our <laughs> Q&A portion of the show called Hey Man, Can I Ask You a Question? This is where you send your questions in about knife making, uh, maybe <laughs> maybe relationship advice if that's what uh if that's what our Jeffy Jeff is putting out. Uh but just questions in general. Um Except for the food stuff. We're trying to stay from the food stuff for now. We're, we're tired of those. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> fine. Yeah. I think we're no, going to get Jeff, a couple of those. Jeff loves them. Uh, but Jeff's, Jeff's going to kick us off with this first one from our boy, uh, oh, what's his name again? From Simple Little? Je- uh, Simple Kind of. No, kind the of first one, one I, well, I got this. The first one is from our buddy Doghouse Forge. That's Jonathan oh. Porter. Oh, okay. He, I was a late entry. He that says, was, hey, yeah. Sweet Cheeks, what's your most consistent error slash flaw in your work? And what are you doing to account for that and prevent it? So 
He I, he was a little bit question. longer, and I just kind of summarized it. So so what is it? What is a step in your in the in your knife making process that you see as something that gets you kind of like flustered, and you have to account for it? That's good, good question. Um, because I think at the end of the day, if there is something that you're not doing right, you know, you should really try and address it straight away. But I've got plenty of those things. Um, yeah. One for me is at the moment I'm doing very sort of repetitive stuff. I'm doing these steak knives over and over and over again. Um, and I'm still the um, the holes for the pins, I'm still doing individually each time where I could just make up a jig, stick it on my drill press, throw my wood in and bang, bang, bang each time. But I'm not. I'm lining up each one with the, with the tang. And the tang is the same on each of these knives anyway. Um, so that's something that I... I should be doing better, and I know it would save me a lot of time, but I just need that initial investment of, you know, a couple of hours to to set that up. Um, other things, consistent errors and flaws. I, I've, I've always had a bit of an issue with um, handles, you know, the lower part of the handle, if it's got a radius on there, um, get, getting into there and cleaning that up. But that's going to be solved now with this new grinder that I'm getting because it, it can be a horizontal grinder too. Um, so that should clear that up nicely. Um, but what about you guys? I mean, what are the flaws that you're you should be accounting for? Yeah, one one thing, thing I do. Oh, oh go, go ahead, ahead. Go ahead. You oh, go ahead. Please. All right. So what, I've been trying to do more. I've been trying to do more free freehand grinding after heat treatment. And sometimes what I do that drives me crazy. Instead of if I if my right hand if my right hand is holding the tang of the of the of the knife and I'm going across the platen, I should be pushing my pressure. I should be putting my pressure on the middle of the platen with my hand against my thumb against the knife. So my so the pressure is going against the middle and it's staying there. I should be sliding it past my thumb or or a piece of of uh or a stick or something i should be putting that pressure in the middle but sometimes i find myself getting lazy and i'm holding the tip of the knife and i'm going back and forth creating a flex mm. i'm flexing the knife a little bit and i end up getting not as consistent grind lines and i curse myself every time i get lazy and do that well you, know you stole saying? mine Son of a bitch! No, well uh, then I'm fucking. Then that you know what? That's the best compliment I could have gotten because I, the fact that I'm stealing your your fucking I respect you as a knife maker. The fact that I'm getting your shit that that means it's, that's fucking great. So that that find is something probably else. find that, something that, else. No, that's it. <laughs> I'm gonna add to it. Yeah. So that's the same th- issue I have. I do put my thumb down on the heel of the blade. Uh, so I'm holding, because my knives are hidden tang knives, holding it by the tang and then putting my thumb on the heel of the knife. But what I I sometimes get into, especially in the coarser grits, is mindlessly making passes and I'm only holding on out at the tip, like you were saying. Yeah. But yeah, the trick is, you know, you want to scoot your hand in basically carefully also uh, on either side of the belt and add pressure and then just kind of work your way down. The, the length of the blade, however long right. it is, um, but yeah, when you're working on a nine inch or eight, even an eight inch knife, even a seven, it happens on all lengths. Really, what's happening yeah. is you're putting you're putting that force behind, uh, especially the hand out at the tip. You're focusing force right behind there. So if you just keep making passes, you'll grind a blade, but it's going to do more work in those areas behind your thumb, and it's just not going to be a consistent grind. So it's, yeah. for me, it's 
figuring out how to be more mindful and it's just more than anything it's just paying attention mindful of where I'm putting my hand so I'm evenly grinding uh, the knife because if you're stone sharpening a knife you don't it's the same thing you don't want to just put pressure in one spot you want to have consistent pressure across the whole length of the blade so that when you drag it across the stone it's getting consistent pressure and, and cutting consistently across the stone it's the same thing with the you know the grinder so that's what have I have you got. seen uh have you seen you know pariah knives right yes pariah knives he's he, I, he's uh he makes he his grinds are so airtight that it's like it it's incredible it's incredible he's he's also he's also a big uh lord of the rings guy he he and i make jokes he he loves uh was that guy what's the guy the guy with the the elf who's the elf which one's the legolas elf? legolas like Legolas, yeah, he likes him. So if you if you said said Pariah knives, so the elf the elf emoji, he'll know where it's from. Just send him all. Go to Pariah knives and just anytime you see his stuff, just hit the elf emoji. He loves it. <laughs> elf emoji. Give him the oh elf my emoji. God. All right. This next one is. Now is from at simple life kind of guy. It says, hey cuties, this is a long one, so sorry if I stumble a little bit along the way. It says, hey cuties, can I ask you a question? I'm fairly new to knife making, doing only stock removal with 1084. How do you know when your knives uh, were good enough to sell? Uh, I have a good stock of chef's knives, neck knives, and bushcraft knives, but I'm hesitant to sell them because I guess I fear they're not good enough. I don't have good access to stabilized wood at the moment, and it's very expensive to buy. So I'm using hardwoods with tongue oil. Uh, yeah. I oh, what's that, Jeff? No, nothing, nothing. And I, 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 I added that uh, at Silicone also kind of said the same thing. He, it was the same thing as when do you decide when do you decide your products are good for oh, the yeah. open market? Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to add cool. him on because they were both the kind of similar Basically questions. Basically the same question, yeah. So when do you figure out when do you figure out where... where uh... First of all, to take the second part of the question where he said he's using hardwoods with tongue oil because he doesn't have access to stabilized woods. If you're using a, you know, a hard hardwood with oil, don't worry about stabilizing. They're not going to be stabilized anyway. So, you know, don't worry so much about that. But with regards to when are they good enough to sell, get them out there. Speak to people. If they're kitchen knives, speak to chefs. Get them to use the knife. See what they think. Um, if you're anything like me, my first hundred knives, I, you know, I started selling way too early. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of other people will say the same thing, that you now you're a bit embarrassed about some of the knives you've got out there. And, you know, I, I come from a, you know, from a, from a software and web development world where... You know, if something's not good enough, you can just ship an update, and you, you know everybody, everything's good. But you know, I've got knives out right. there, and I can't ship an update to these knives, and I'm not—I'm just not very <laughs> happy with them. That's a, but that's a, but that's gonna—that's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, that's just the way it is. It is the way it is. Uh, You're gonna evolve. I, I, You're gonna I've, get better. Yeah. You know, that's just the way. I, I, you know, that's the that's the best thing about supportive friends and family. They, that's when I first started selling knives. It was the people on friends and family on Facebook. They were interested in what I was doing, mm. and I didn't go out to say I'm selling knives. People were just like, "Hey, would you make me a knife?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I'll make you a knife." And that was really how it came. I didn't. I didn't say when am I ready to go out into the you know to the marketplace. It was just like 
people, I would bake a knife and I'd post a knife and then someone asked me for another knife and then I'd bake it and then I'd keep going. And then all of a sudden, just mm. like, okay, now I think I have a business. Do I, do I, I like my knives. The, I like the knives I've done last, you know, the last knives I've done. Look, it's been years. And sometimes it's just going to be the way it is. I, I think that there's, we're two people are a little prescriptive in regards to, um, when you when you're supposed to be selling your knife, you, look, you, you 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 do your best to get better, and if somebody wants your knife, they want your knife, you know. And boom. yeah, I don't know what, I, yeah. yeah, I think you let the market decide if you're ready or not, or if I guess not if you're ready or not, but if if your product's good enough. I mean, ultimately, the market's going to decide. You put it out there, and if people are buying, then they're buying. If not, not then it probably needs some improvement. But I think to help bolster your confidence and to help uh, get some solid feedback, is you said you got some chef's knives, you got some bushcraft knives, you know, get those knives into, get, and not all of them, but get one or, or two into the hands of people that do that kind of stuff. Get it to a cook, get it to, um, and, and not just, like, everybody thinks they got to get it to the executive chef. The reality is the executive chef or even the, the lead sous I don't know. They're not the ones doing all the prep work. You know, if you got a friend who works in the restaurant business and they're a prep cook, they're blasting through food all the time. They're probably going to actually give you the best feedback um, as to how well the knife is cutting, how well it's holding its edge, what kind of cut friction are they experiencing, you know, all that kind of stuff. But also, then, yeah, yeah, let's yeah. be clear. Let's be clear that a lot of cooks, to quote Jason Knight, don't know shit about sharpness. There's a lot of cooks out there. You know, you and I are interviewing uh, Mike. Uh, Anastasio, like a year and a half ago, and and we were talking about uh, knives, and 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 Jason Knight chimes in, and he goes, "These guys don't know anything. Some of these cooks don't know anything about knives." And I, you know what? At first, I thought he was being a little bit uh, salty, but then all of a sudden, I'm just like, you know what? The guy's 100 percent right. Yeah, I've had chefs, I've had executive chefs ask me after I made the knives, "What's the difference between carbon and stainless steel?" A lot of these guys don't know anything. Yeah. Okay, so maybe not on the sharpness part or how well it's holding edge, but overall general performance, um, they'll they'll be able to give you some feedback as to how well it's cutting for them. Uh, and the same thing with the bush knife. And then that way you have something, either you have some information that uh, tells you you need to make some modifications to how those knives are ground out or, or they're good. And then you just put them out there. But I think, um, yeah, I think... I think helping to bolster your confidence is going to help you feel better about these things. Because if you just, you make these knives and you don't know how to use them, then I can understand how you'd be a little uh, leery of whether or not people are going to buy them or not. Great um, point. Great yeah. point. If you're a chef knife guy, you should kind of know how to cook. Sorry. I mean, or, I, I feel degree. like I've said this, well, know how to cook helps, but I think... Also, some people who have a close relationship with somebody who is a working cook, prep cook, chef, or whatever, who can really give some feedback, feedback at least on the performance side of things, how well it's cutting and all that kind of stuff, um, that really helps a lot. Uh, but again, you know, people could be blasting away with a chunky Wustoff or going at it with a, a Japanese chef's knife and think that they're the same thing. And the reality is they are definitely not the same thing. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I guess okay. <laughs> strike that last bit of what I said. No, you're right. You're yeah. absolutely right. The, the more information you can get, the better. Yeah. You know, I guess that's basically what I'm trying to say. 100%. 100% behind you. I just, you know, 
I'm salty today. <laughs> it's early. It's early morning. It. I'm gassy. I'm gassy. I'm super gassy. <laughs> We've got an audio question, um, and this is from Shinstock Stabbing Supplies. Hey, baby, can I ask you a question? When you're finishing a blade by hand, where do you guys strope it at? Do you strope it on the couch when you're watching TV with your old lady? Just Okay, I think he's trying to what infer some fuck? sort of sexual content here but in some way it's just not being sexy so i think we can make that a bit more sexy hey baby can i ask you a question when you're finishing a blade by hand where do you guys strope it at do you strope it on the couch when you're watching tv with your old lady just strope it along do you strope it in the bathroom or do you use a machine I like the stroke by hand. I like the way it feels. How do you guys finish blade? How do you guys finish oh, a blade? Is that French music? Oh, <laughs> that that music French was so music? great. That music is crazy. If you listen to that song, this this woman at the end, she's going at it. And we're talking about finishing off, but she's finishing herself off there. And she's. Oh, she, <laughs> what are we doing now? What are you, Sunday, it Sunday is. is that would be banned. That would be banned these days. Oh man! So I think the bones what? of the question are: um, how Ow. how do you strop a blade? I think I think that is what he's getting at. Uh, let's just make sure we keep it at that level because we got like thirteen year olds and fourteen year olds listening to this. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> Craig's gonna get the complaint department. <laughs> yeah, that's all, Craig, baby. <laughs> So what do you think? I mean, obviously, I... there's there's the traditional leather strop that you've seen in movies of barbers using and ch- 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, using a straight razor. But I, like I the think barber more of conventional Seville, the barber of Seville. Yeah, there you go. The, I mean, I think more conventional strops, especially for chef's knives. Uh, actually, our our boy um, Griffin Bladeworks, uh, Will yeah. Griffin. He he makes a stropping board, so it's a it's a it's a wooden board. I think he has either felt or leather uh, attached to it. But then you load it with some compound, and you which is super fine uh, compound, and you just do the stropping motion. What that does is it helps bring that edge back. Well, I think uh, what what happens is a lot of people don't actually understand what's happening at the cutting edge. And at the cutting edge of your knife, you have all these tiny little teeth, these little micro serrations. And what happens in normal use is that those bend over, um, ideally bend over. Um, and then, uh, so you need something to help bring those back. And the gentler you start, I think the better. So sometimes it only takes a couple swipes on the strop. Um, and if that, and then you, you know, you can test it on a piece of paper, go back to cutting some food, and if that's not doing it, then you hit it with this, with the, with your honing rod, and that'll, and then follow that with the strop, and that will definitely, usually bring it back. But if that's still not doing the job, then it's time to sharpen your damn knife. But, um, you know, I've stropped knives on the back of corrugated cardboard, and it's, it surprisingly works very, very, very well. Um, so if you got a cardboard box laying around. Um, cut a, cut one of the flaps off and you can strop on that damn thing. Um, <laughs> but it sounds ridiculous, but that sounded pretty, that probably, yeah. Oh, it sounded dirty. Say it again. Oh. Are you into, you, you got that box fetish? <laughs> oh, I think. <laughs> I see where you're going with that now. Dude. My bad. Uh, anyways. 
So you just drop on a piece of cardboard, you drop <laughs> on some leather, you drop on... Yeah. I've seen people do it like on balsa wood, like straight on balsa wood. Drop their balsa wood. Uh, balsa with, wood. Also with compound again. Your Usually really wood. helps. But <laughs> that's what I've seen. What about you guys? I, I still use uh. a machine, so I still use a Tomac, and they've got the, the stropping wheel, which is leather wheel. Again, yeah. on some some compound on there. It just turns yeah. so, so slowly. And yeah, you Does just... It? Polish it. How how slowly how slowly is it? Really, really <laughs> slow. I can't take this as shit anymore. Let's get to the next question. I can't take it. It's too sexy on a Sunday morning. Come on, man. This for you. Your question. Go for it. This God's day. All right. Uh, this comes from Summit and C Smithing. Hey, man. Let me ask you a question. What's your favorite after work cocktail of choice? You like you finish your work, you go home, you're ready for a drinky poo. What's it going to be, guys? Or not. Maybe not a drink. It's a beer for yeah. me. I'm, I'm, I've never really been into cocktails or any sort of short drink, really. I just, I just not my thing. Um, beer. I love beer. So beer for me. What kind Are of you beer sure you it's like? not a shot of whiskey? Oh, God, no. Oh, I think we talked about whiskey in the past. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, we the, did. Even the smell of it. We Jeez. won't get into that. Oof. Um, beer. IPAs, that kind of stuff. You know, sort of modern, fresh beers. Um really hoppy stuff I, I i brew my own beer as well so i i yeah generally serve that but um yeah always beer for me cold or room temp cold if it's if it's going to be a like, like, like an ipa um cold so i've actually got a machine in my i think we've talked about this in the past i've got the machine in my shop where i i brew beer and i've got a tap so when it comes to a Friday, mm-hmm. sort of three, four o'clock on a Friday, I can the tap opens and I can have have, have a beer while I'm sort of tidying up. It stays up. cold. It stays it stays cold because it's 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 a fridge. So the machine is how, built around a fridge. How long does it? Uh, how long? I mean, how much beer do you make? Um, about like one batch, one batch, one batch. One batch of beer. I do by the keg, so forty pints in a keg. Um, and then how long does it stay smoke. fresh? Um, it's pressurized. It's you know, it's like it would be in a pub, so it'll stay fresh for. So how long? As long as how long you how long you wolfing down that that shop beer? Maybe about once every six weeks. I'm making a new batch. Um, but you know, friends drink it too. It's not just me. It's but um, sure. yeah. Hey, so <laughs> your 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 grinders here. Where's my beer? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a good hobby to get into. It's you know, there's far worse hobbies. The payoff is good. The payoff is good, yeah. Mm. That's good. What about yourself? What's the drink uh, of used, choice? I used to go home and make myself a Negroni, which is an Italian aperitif Ooh. with uh, like Campari and gin and wow. uh, sweet vermouth. Um, but I started doing putting a spin on it, and I would wash the glass with uh, absinthe and Oof. finish it with a burn peel, and I would call it a Necroni, uh, like Necro. As in dead. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Got uh, it. <laughs> and it's absolutely wow. delicious. That's a that's a that you'd have one of those at night. I would How make many? that. Oof. Just one. Wow, that's a big. That's a big. That's a that's a that's a big drink right there. Or I'd, or I'd have a PBR and a shot of whiskey. <laughs> I don't know. All right, there you go. I tell you what, ice cold beer is hard to beat. I I've been recently yeah. drinking. I uh, I uh, there's some good local beers around here. There's uh, Captain Lawrence's. I'm friendly with the uh, the owners of Captain Lawrence. They make awesome beer, and I drink a lot of that. But recently, I've been drinking um, this IPA called Dogfish Head uh, oh, yeah. Sixty 
60. 60 minutes. The 90 will put you in the ground. The 90 will fuck mm-hmm. you up. The 90 yeah. will fuck you up, but the 60 it's is delicious. Like, the 60 is perfect. So I've been Delaware. drinking a lot of that. They're from Delaware, Dogfish Head. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I tell you what, I like that Dogfish Head 60 IPA. That's good. It's not too, you know, there's a new, I think that, uh, a lot of Americans are starting to get sick of the whole IPA thing. They're, they're just they don't they're admitting that they don't like the the bitterness of IPAs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I sixty. Yeah, I like uh, Sierra Nevada. I like that too. Yeah, yeah. You know, boom, ice cold beer. There you go. All right. That, this that, that drink, your drink was that was a, that was a strong drink. That was a good one. <laughs> I love it. I love uh, it. The the next one comes from Flyover State Forge. Hey, cutie. Uh, I've been wanting to go back to school to become a machinist. Do you think these new skills um, will give me an advantage as a knife maker? What do you think? A hundred percent. More than Absolutely. more than ever, I'd say. A hundred percent. I mean, that's the direction so many things are going. Hmm. I think. I. I think it's great. Yeah, for the precision. I don't have a lathe. I don't have an end mill. I, don't, I, I see a lot of guys like uh, our buddy Josh Scott or or, or uh, Jeremy from Simple Little Life. They're using end mills to make sure that they're even Alex Steele. They're using all their machinist stuff to straight. You know, keeping things flat and you know hollowing out the the bolsters and it's it's uh, it's envy. I'm envious of it. I'd love to. I'd love to learn how to do that stuff. Yeah, so I think the answer is to go for it. I think that's, that's yeah, absolutely. I think that yeah, people are moving more and more towards that style of of creating things, um, and you know, people are getting access to more and more machines as well. As machines are coming down in price, um, we're getting these almost sort of like um, not quite pro machines, almost sort of home machines, almost where you can make stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, that's the way to go. That's the way to go, definitely. I actually thought about this because I, there's a type of I have a good drill press. There's a type of vice that turns that I guess it has a Y and an X axis, mm. so you can use mm. you can use the vice as a, an add on to your drill press tray, and then that can be and then you just get I guess I guess I don't know I'm not in a machine I don't know from end mills and stuff like that, but I guess you can use that vice for your yeah, I, I was, I've movement. looked into that in the past. I think the issue you've got there is that the the drill press isn't meant to have pressure um, side, side to side. To side. Yeah. Um, so you can use it for light stuff, you know, maybe use it for scales, flattening scales, that kind of thing, but wouldn't do it for anything else, really. Mm. Yeah, it's called a cross-slide vice, mm. Mr. Jeff. Cross? That's, I was going to get one, and then all of a sudden I'm just like, hey, what do you need that for? That's usually what goes on in my head. I think, oh yeah, I could really go for that. What do you need that for? And then that's the end of it. <laughs> New shiny. When you, say, when you say, "What do you need that for?" When you start to say, "What do you need that for?" Then it's like, Ugh, you spoiled it. Yeah. I spoiled it for myself. Next <laughs> question from Moss Custom Knives. Hey man, can I ask you a question? I've been invited to my first local makers fair. What is a good number of knives to have ready? As many think, as you, whatever you can do. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because, like, the psychology of the consumer. It, especially, I don't know, I, at least this is what I've experienced at knife shows, is if you walk up to a table and there are too many knives on the table all at once, um, it can be overwhelming. You don't really know, you don't have a focus of where to look at. Um, I think the people I've seen who have been very successful, they bring maybe 20, 30, 40 knives, but they're repeats of the same model. So instead of having all 
the, all of the knives on the table, they have maybe a couple examples of each on the table. Hmm. And then as one sells, maybe pull another one up on the table. But that way you keep the presentation uh, clean and tidy for the customer, whoever's walking up, and not as overwhelming for them um, when they walk up. Because I, I walk up to those tables myself and there's like, even if there's 15 knives on the table, I'm just like, oh, God, I don't what do I look at first? And it just, I, I'm trying to look at all of them all at once. And I'm, I don't really end up getting a good chance to really look at things. And I just move on. It's, it, I don't know. But that might be my own psych, psychology. But when I approach a table that has fewer things on them, it's, it's easier for me to focus in and, and look at the individual characteristics and qualities of different knives. And so hmm. I would suggest bring as many as you want, but be careful with how many you actually put on your table. But they also, it's also, he's worried about like how much should he invest in time and energy and how many should he make. And he doesn't want to have too many, but he doesn't want to, he doesn't, because he thinks he's going to lose money. But if he makes too little, he doesn't want to just sit there. He doesn't want to sit there and with nothing on the table. It's not fruit. It's not going to go bad. You know, if you make a no. knife and you don't sell it, you'll sell it later. So yeah. my opinion is Absolutely. it's better to have more than less, unless that it depends on your, what you're, if you're looking to move knives, have knives. But if you if you sell everything out in the first day, you're going to be sitting there fooling around for the next day, or you can leave early. So that's the better thing. Actually, you know what? That's what you should do. Sell everything on the first day and fuck away off on the second day. <laughs> and what do you need to be there for anymore? You just sit there and just twiddle your thumbs? I say make a pile of them, sell them all, and leave early. Pre- that's present the them that's a great well. strategy. Uh, that's the perfect strategy. Moss, I'm with you. Present them well. I've been to so many make affairs where people are just throwing their stuff out on their table. Um, explain to people, mm. you know, what, what I've seen that works really well is just get like an iPad or something and just have this loop in video of you making a knife. So anybody pass them, we go, yeah. all right, that guy's making those knives. He's not just selling these knives. You know, just present them well so you're... You're telling the whole story. You're not. You're not just a guy, you know, with a bunch of stuff to sell. You're a guy who makes these amazing knives, and you're selling them. Yeah. All right. Next, Next question one. from CZ Harris. Hey, cutie pie. Can I ask you a question? What are you doing with the woods that naturally secrete oil, like coco bolo, before epoxying them to the blade for handles? Good question. Good hmm. question. I'm throwing them right in the garbage. How do you like that? <laughs> you don't use Coco Bolo at all? I've never had that issue. I, I, you know what? I actually w- used to work for a guy, and we made a lot of stuff with Coco Bolo, and I disliked him so much mm. that I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't use Coco Bolo at all. Yeah. What I like That's to do weird, right? is I um, sand the back <laughs> a little bit. So you, you, you sand a, a key into it, ready for you know epoxying. Um, hit them with a bit of acetone so it'll dry dry out that surface really quickly. That's a good really idea. Really dry. I then, if I'm using something like Cocoa Bolo, I'll, I'll always use a liner. So the liner is there to protect the wood from the steel. Um, but yeah, That's but, a good idea but too. using that acetone first will dry up that layer. So once you've then epoxied to the liner, <laughs> the epoxy will create a barrier to the liner. And then obviously you're just using your, your liner to your steel, which, is, which isn't an issue. And use cor- Corby bolts that are going to counteract your... Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Corby bolts are so great because they're mechanically fastening your, your scales. So you're not de- totally depending on, on the epoxy, although 100%. The yeah. epoxy is like the sealer. Yeah. I like that idea. Good job. Good. Mine are still in the garbage. I use <laughs> you can suck. You poke a bowl and kiss my ass. <laughs> All right. This next one is from Austin.Sand... 
Sandoval. He says, hey, cutie booties. Uh, here are, uh, there are a lot of great books out there, but what are some great knife-making DVDs? DVDs? 1976? Yeah. What's... <laughs> Jeez. That was, you, he, he, I was a race to the finish line of that joke. I was, I was, I was going to hit you up, too. Jeez, DVDs. YouTube. It's all about YouTube. Uh, well, you know, the ABS does sell good DVDs. I actually bought uh, a couple. I got a Kevin Cashin DVD from from about heat treating from the ABS. It's American Bladesman Society. Yeah. Uh, I got a I got a, a handle finishing video. I mean, listen, let's just cut the shit. They're not the greatest DVDs of all time, but they do give you good information. <laughs> there was it's one. The, the production is, is a little rough on some of those. <laughs> there was one where they 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 ground in a plunge line. In real time, and all I'm oh, looking at smart. is this guy plun- cutting in a plunge line, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is in real time!" It was like a 45 minute video, <laughs> and 35 minutes of it was a grinding in a plunge line. I was Ugh. like, "Oh my god, by hand!" Oh my god, <laughs> maybe there's a market for you, guys. Go make some DVDs. Somebody make some DVDs. You know who but does don't... a really good? I does a really good DVD is Shane Taylor, uh, Taylor made. I think it's Taylor made knives, but Shane Taylor's custom knife maker from uh, Billings, Montana. Or sorry, I'm screwing that up. He's from Montana though. I think he might be from Miles City. Anyways, um, he he does a really great video about Damascus making. If you want to look into that, and he is one of the top. I would say one of the top Damascus makers in the country. Uh, I look at his stuff and it. It blows me away. So, uh, if you are interested in some of that, Shane Taylor, he just made, and I think he just made the video actually only a couple of years ago. So, um, production quality should be pretty decent. And, um, but yeah, and, check uh, him out. A Knife Talk alumni, Jay Nielsen, just did some DVDs. Yes, he did. Yes, yeah. Oh, did he? He did some DVDs and just went as well. He's a friend, a Kurt Halland of Freehill Blades is doing a Patreon where he's uh, where he's doing videos of how he makes his knives and Kurt makes amazing knives and if I were if I were going to support a guy who's doing knife making videos it'd be a guy like him yeah I, I haven't seen him because I'm not I don't do Patreon but he's uh, he would be he, that would, he very piqued my piqued my interest in regards to doing that mm. so for sure I think people still do DVDs because it's it's an easy easier to sell you got a product to sell then haven't you whereas you know if you're putting videos up online people just expect them to be free uh, i know well, i know that's why they do the Patreon. yeah you right? can use paywalls and that kind of thing but you know people aren't a bit more reluctant maybe because they think well it's, it's online it should be free that's people's mentality these days um but, right. but yeah a physical product is dvd you know i pay money for that but you know that's just a... yeah but do computers even have dvd slots anymore cool. yeah mine doesn't a... no uh. Yeah, how do you even play a DVD player? Mine does. <laughs> you, yours does. You got that old computer. You got that yeah, old yeah. computer. It's yeah. an old MacBook. That's how you play your. That's how you play your sexy DVDs. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, keep that bed. Keep that bed. Just keep that bed. All right, everybody. I want to talk to you about our next sponsor, Combat Abrasives. Yeah, combat abrasives. Let's stop that. That's you go weird. to you, you carry on. Oh, carry on. Well, I thought I was gonna have it. It was going a little loud, but I was ready to roll. All right, so combat abrasives <laughs> is a great sponsor of ours. They make belts, discs, epoxies, stabilized woods, and if you go to their website, combatabrasives.com, is that the right website? That's the one. All right, yeah. then you put you get ten percent off all your orders with promo code Knife Talk Ten. 
So go get your combat's been great. And on you, the listeners, have been awesome on your Instagram stories. You've been posting pictures of your belts that you've gotten from combat. And you've been tagging them. You've been tagging us. And everyone's, we're doing a good job. We're doing a good job. Slow and steady wins the race. We're kicking ass, consistent. Thank you so much, Combat Abrasives. Go to CombatAbrasives.com. 10% off all your orders. The promo code KNIFETALK10. Yeah. Nice. You know what? I... It sounds obvious, but I love our sponsors at the moment. So we've got Combat Abrasives, obviously, for your belts. We've got Even Heat for ovens. We're using Clarix now for our um, grinders. And we've got another sponsor, which everybody knows already, which is New Jersey Steel Baron for your steel. So everything that you need, we've got you covered with a discount, which I love. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. All right. Next one. Let's, Let's just keep this ball rolling, baby. So, this one comes from Heil Keith, and he wants to know, what's the most bizarre food you guys have tried, i.e. Rocky Mountain Oysters, Balut, a tequila worm? What's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Oh, I don't know. Don't put on that sexy music now. Don't do it. <laughs> don't you do it. Don't you do it. Don't I've eaten Rocky Mountain Oysters, actually. You have? Yeah, they Travis like? Quartz is hammering. They do lamb fries and Rocky Mountain Oysters. Lamb fries? What's a lamb fry? Male sheep testicles. Oh, wait. Whoa, you call whoa, them? Wait whoa, a second. No, I, no, 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 no. Wait a second. You say? Did you say a lamb fry? Yeah. The male, it's called a, it's, when they geld the male sheep. That's where the balls go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the Rocky Mountain oysters are bull testicles. And at Travis Wirtz's hammer, and his dad fries off a bunch of them. And, uh, you know, I think it's the second or third day of the hammer in. Everybody gobbles them on down. <laughs> oh, no, oh, don't say God. it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Wait a second. Can you tell the difference between a bull, a, a bull ball and a sheep ball? Definitely. Really? Yeah, there's, there's way different in size. <clears throat> in size, yes, but in taste. No, I wasn't paying that close of attention. <laughs> was he? How did he? Was he cutting them up and then frying them up? I think they put no. them, cut them. They don't deep fry them full blast like a fucking Scotch egg, do they? Sure. They, they got <laughs> no, it they covered don't in like, the whole thing. They got it covered up with like a flour semolina with some seasoning kind of mix, and then they just uh, so they bread it up in that, and then they drop it in a fryer. Oh. Wow. Huevos de burro. That's what they call in in uh, in uh, Ecuador. They call a giant mango huevos de, bu- de burro. That's the bu- that's the ta- donkey ball. Donkey ball. Well, how did so? Did you like it? Would you order more? Would it, if you could, you put it on your menu and it would sell. You know what? It it tasted very similar. It, the experience was very similar to eating fried oysters, like standard fried oysters. Huh. I figured it would be a little bit more. You know. Jamie. Mm, Salty. Nope. (laughs) All right, Craig, what's the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? I've been thinking. I don't know. Um, Well, then I'll go, go, and then you think about it. So when I was a kid, my parents got divorced, and my dad took me on what I referred to as the I'm Sorry, Divorce Your Mother World Tour. And we went to Kenya, (laughs) Africa. I was way too young. I was way too young to go. The whole place freaked me out. And then he took me to a place called the Carnivore. The carnivore is, is a is this like touristy place in Nairobi where it's very much like those Brazilian restaurants where they serve you a lot of food. You know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah. They show up to your table with skewers and 
So what they do is, is they sit you down. This is back in the eighties before they stopped serving like wild game. Like I guess nowadays they're very like, you can't be like putting giraffe on people's plates and stuff. So these guys with these like beef eater mustaches and sideburns would come to your table with these like, you know, Masai Mara spears with like, you know, crocodile and, and zebra and, and all this, you know, crazy stuff. And, and you're just like, all right, well, let's try that. I tell you what, zebra was the worst fucking thing I've ever eaten in my life. I mean, it was literally like, it was like we were chewing forever. It was like, it was literally like chewing on a tire. Mm. So the weirdest and worst thing was zebra. Terrible. Mm. Okay. Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I've had, you know, things like, uh, you know, alligator and a horse and all those kind of things. But um, I, wait, I, you said horse very slowly. I was like, whoa, whoa where are you going there? <laughs> I think it's just horse, steak and just cheese. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not I'm not one for, you know, crazy, crazy food. So I, I keep what's like, horse yeah. like? Um, beefy, just like beef, just like, and there's, there's a big scandal here in Europe a few years ago where a lot of beef products, it turned out it was horse, um, which, you know, people were revolted by, but you know, it's an animal, same as, same as, same as a cow, but, um, yeah, that's, that's it for me. Nothing too adventurous, really. I I will say I have one more weird thing. When I was in South Korea, uh, uh, there are all kinds of weird things that you could eat there, Mm. but the thing that was the most disgusting to me was the bondegi, which is the silkworm. And they serve it when you show up and you sit down at the restaurant, they serve it like beer nuts. And apparently they love them there. And I tried, I'll, I'll try anything twice. I always say. So I tried it a couple different places. Twice. Both to- I thought it was yeah. once. Well, that's the what most people say. Once. The second time the you're expre- like, I've had it. <laughs> No, no, no. Well, all right. So the reasoning behind that is if you go one place and you don't like it, you go somewhere else, it could be a completely different experience. So at least I try stand it again. corrected. Excellent. I stand corrected. Excellent. Go ahead. So you're eating these worms. So I tried it two different times. Both times it was terrible. It, it tasted like I had picked up a, a big giant thing of dust and dirt and put it in my mouth and shoot. It was terrible. It was so Was horrible. it alive? No, they were they were red, uh, dead. They oh, weren't God. even dried or roasted or anything. It was like they just like they'd soaked them in something and killed them and then served <laughs> them. It was it was really bad. Oh, oh God! So Can go. you imagine the first time you're trying? You're like, this is terrible. I bet the next place is going to be much better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's my. That's the thing. But sometimes. <laughs> but the, you sometimes you've eaten I've, the weirdest had, things. I've had really bad experiences the first time, and I'm like, I'll never try it again. And then I'll, I, I'm confronted with it again. I'm like, you know what? I'll give it another try. And it was yeah, awesome. Well, you win so. the you win the the most bizarre foods. That's for sure. Balls and and balls and worms. Oh, I've eaten crickets. I've eaten all kinds of stuff. Yeah. All right. Okay, we've got another from Block Knives, and this is the Block Knives with a K in it because there's another Block Knives out there. This is Block Knives with a K. Hey, cuties. Just got started listening to your podcast, and it's a lot of fun to listen to, but I've got a question. My girlfriend and I are expecting our first kid this year. How do you guys plan your work days or hobby time around a newborn? Thanks. Cheers. Wow. How do you plan? You just try and make the time when you can. I'm going through this at the moment, just struggling to get into the workshop. Um you know, you can't plan when your when your and your kids are going to be sick. You can't plan when your kids need your time. Um, you just need to be able to 
when they don't need it so much, you need to be able to get into the shop and make. That's that's the way I'm figuring things out. Yep. I had to change uh, the whole. I had to change the whole way I made sculpture because I needed to be able to be in the house uh, for my daughter when she was born. Yeah. So I was making very small scale sculpture, and I was, I was like doing all the work when I had the chance, and then I would save all the like the painting work uh, for when I was like inside with the family. Mm. I was doing the painting, so I was just trying to, and, I, and it changed the way I did my work. Actually, all my work changed because I had to figure out ways in which to be. Uh, to be able to make it happen. Yeah, and I think if, if you didn't listen to last week's show, I think we answered this quite um, <coughs> comprehensively last week. So uh, Block Knives, go listen to last week's show, and you'll find a much, much bigger answer for that very same question. All right. This next one comes from CM Knives. Hey, cuties, I've got a question. Any of you guys looking for an apprentice or an intern? I have to graduate at the end of the month, and I have no idea what to do. You guys need an apprentice? Oh, I'd love to have one, but I don't need one at the moment. Um, but what I would say is don't don't come up with that question. I, I, you know, I need to have an idea what to do. Show some uh, commitment and, you know, approach people and say, you know, I really want to be doing this. Not, you know, I don't know what to do. So can I come and work with you? That's that's probably a, a bit of a tip there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not probably the best way to go. <laughs> Yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. I listened to this uh, podcast called Impact Theory, and uh, he, the the guy, the host was doing an interview with a guy, and um, one of the things he, I, I wish I could remember the guy's name, but anyways, the guest had said, you know, he gets people approaching him all the time, basically asking, "I want to come work with you. Can I come work with you? I want to come work with you. Can I come work with you?" And um, he finds that when that happens. Basically, when somebody says that or, or approaches you in that way, they're then like if they came up to you, Jeff, they're now giving you basically a homework assignment because then at that point you have to come up with something for that person mm. to do, and maybe you have systems in place uh, to that you can plug them in, but maybe you don't. Like I, I don't. So if somebody came, I get people asking me if they can come on apprentice for me and work with me or work for me. I'm just like, I'm not even set up or ready to do that. But one of the things the guest had brought up is think about ways that you can be helpful to these people that you're approaching first before you even start talking to them or do things that are helpful to them before they even know it. And um, so if somebody took clips, like best clips of Knife Talk podcast and put together a, a one minute thing and put it on YouTube and just, or did, did some sort of content like that around and or 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 for you specifically, Jeff, or Craig too. Uh, that that is a great way to start. Kind of, <laughs> it sounds like like I'm telling people to weasel their way in, but it, it's bringing, it's providing value to whoever you're wanting to work for, work with, before then finally saying, "Hey, so what do you think? Hmm, that makes you, sense. Is yeah. it possible there's, that I could come work for you? Or is there of... any ways I can, you know?" bring you value or what how can i help you there's two different ways in which i like that very much when i was a kid and i was an art major my dad said to me if you want to be an artist you got to work for artists so i got a list uh my sister knew a lot of artists and i got a list of artists and i had and i call i called them up and i said i would like to sweep your floors and I, I just, it was very much along the lines of I wanted to work for you for free. I'm happy to yeah. help. And then I ended up working for a lot of different artists. Some of the big, some big name artists. Actually, one of them forgot I was sweeping up. I'll tell you this quick story. I was uh, sweeping up his shop 
And then I'm sweeping and sweeping and sweeping. He forgot that I was in there and he locked me in his shop. <laughs> I swear to God. And I was like, How the, where the, and this was no cell phones, blah, blah, blah. I didn't know what to do. I tried to open the door. The door was locked. I, he had forgotten that I was there and he locked me in. And I had some soapstone in my pocket and I drew my outline on the door. And I just wrote in the soapstone, I'm so glad this is not a welding shop because I would have cut my way out like Bugs Bunny in one of those movies. I would have cut my way out of the, I ended up having to drop through a window down a fire escape and leave. And I left him a message saying, yo, I'm here to work for free, but I mean, I'm like, I'm not like the fucking, I'm not, I mean, you can't, I, let's legitimately happen. And, uh, it was, it was bad, he, you know, but at the same time it's like, you know, use your head, obviously use your head. The other thing is, is don't. I would be if somebody came to me said and when they come to me and they say to me I'm really I want to grind knives for you. It's like going to a kitchen too. You don't go into a kitchen and say I make I want to make eggs for you but I make eggs the way I make eggs. You want to you got it's almost better to just go in and say I want to work and I want to work the way you want me to work because if you start to like you can't go in there full blast oh I know how to do this I know how to do that. It's yeah. it's it's over 1 2 3. I think it's very good for people to to figure out ways in which they can use people, uh, teach people, but also like it's but good for your mind to figure out how to plan for having assistance. Sure, it's very well, very good. And I think part of the problem too is when somebody comes to, comes to you, Jeff. You've had people work, you know, young yeah. people come and work for you. The, the biggest burden about that whole exchange is the the down or I guess the, the learning curve taking the time and taking the time to teach them stuff. And I think if somebody really wants to get into knife making, they want to get into it, they want to apprentice with somebody, they might try to develop some skills, um, some a, a foundation of skills at least uh, before they approach that person. So that's that much less that they're burdening that, that maker with and right. still be flexible enough to learn how that maker, you know, if they want to work for that maker, they need to learn how that maker wants things done. But if they already have some skills coming into it, then that's less of a burden on the maker. It makes it easier. And it just, it makes that relationship a more viable uh, reality than, you know, coming in straight up, just stone cold, nothing, no skills, no nothing, no background. Yeah. To answer and CM knives question. The answer is Yes. But you have to be in charge of your own housing. You have to be. You don't live near me, and and you got to get here. And you, the answer is yes. But that the, everything else is on to you. Everything else is up to you. And don't ask if you can sleep in my house because that ain't happening. Don't you can't. I need you need to figure something else out. But if you want to come work for me, fine. But don't. Hey, do you know anywhere else I could stay? No. That's the answer to that is no. I don't know anywhere to stay. That's your problem. Is that a good answer? Nailed it. Terrible. Nailed it. Terrible. Sounds good. Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> no, forget it, CM. You can't come over here. Get out of here, man. No, I'm just kidding. See you Monday. All right. This next sponsor, I just want to talk about our sponsor, New Jersey Steel Baron. Uh, Craig mentioned them earlier. They're really awesome guys. Uh, the Brunos, they got great supplies, all kinds of different steels from ADCRV, AEBL, AEBL 1080, 1084, all kinds of stuff. They got, they got basically anything and everything that you could want for making uh, finely crafted knives. Uh, they also offer, uh, you know, different... Oh, I can't even think of the word right now. Of course, I'm taking it. My brain's grabbing out. They offer different services. They offer, uh, like, water jetting, uh, as well as CNC, I guess, uh, CAD design, uh, 
to set up that water jetting, but they also offer handle materials, all kinds of stuff. So anyways, go to their website, check them out. Um, they're going to be coming uh, to us with some uh, discounts for you guys uh, soon, as soon as their new website's up. But if you're looking for some steel, go to them right now and get a hold of them. Let them know we sent you uh, sent you their way. And um, and uh, but yeah, get your steel from making knives. Don't don't mess around with some junk steel that you found. And you don't know what the hell it is. Good steel is inexpensive. The the most expensive part is your your actual dime. So just get some good steel. Get it from New Jersey Steel Baron. And that's what I got. There we go. There we go. We've had a joke in. We've had a joke in from from Alex at Bull Blades. You know what kind of joke this is going to be. Terrible. Terrible. They're all going to be bad. They're all bad. You know that horrible sound a blade makes when it cracks during the quench? That awful dreaded ting. Well, do you know that sound is slightly different, closer to the handle? It has a lower pitch sound there. It goes, tang. <laughs> Terrible, just. They're never going to get good. Never. never it's not the worst good. one. It's not the worst one. No, no it's knife-related, that's for sure. <laughs> Craig's Community Showcase. It's that time of the show where we're wrapping things up, but we'd like to give a shout-out to a community member or some work that we've seen that we really appreciate. Um, and mine is Jesse Wang. Um, and on Instagram is jesse underscore wzz. Um, now, it looks as if Jesse's literally just joined Instagram. He's got four followers. Um, but I, I saw the uh, Damascus that he was doing there at New England School of Metal. It's incredible. So it's a feather Damascus, um, but whereas you'd normally got that sort of um, spine down the feather, it sort of waves as well. So you get this sort of feather mm-hmm. pattern going in and out, and it's just beautiful. So go and take a look. It's Jesse Wang, which is Jesse underscore WZZ on Instagram, and give him a follow because I think um, I think he deserves it. Absolutely. I'd like to give I'd like to give a little love to another hammer maker uh, that uh, just made me a hammer, and uh, he was on the, he on the last episode he did a audio question with cows. That's Ben Snur, Ben Snur B E N S N U R E. He's a <laughs> he was a, he's a good dude. He's a very talented blacksmith. Uh, he makes hammers. I just got a. I just got a two and a half pound uh, farrier style rounding hammer from him. It's something different than I than I normally get. He uh, sells his ni- uh, his hammers through this great company called Wellshod. W e l l s h o d. I had great customer service from them. Um, he uh, Ben makes really beautiful things. He's a he's a quite a character. He uh, he's a good dude. Um, I'm really grateful for him. I really like what they they Wellshod really took care of me. Uh, I bought a, a hammer from them, and Wellshod did a real like I said. The customer service was very good. They called me because there was a delay, and everything was great. Uh, and the hammer's beautiful, and uh, Ben Snur is definitely someone to follow. Cool. Okay. Well, this week I'd like to show some love to Andrew Wozniak. He's Colony Knife Company uh, on Instagram, or I guess Colony Knife Co. on Instagram. He's a young maker from uh, Ohio, and his work is 
exemplary for a guy who's newer to the field. He does a lot of integrals and hunters and doing all, he works with great makers like, uh, you know, he actually, he just got his journeyman certification with uh, Jason Knight. Uh, or I guess he passed the performance test, but he just, he does really phenomenal stuff. I've been following him for about the last year and a half or so, and I love following him. He's does, he's super creative, uh, when it comes to, uh, to the assembly and the, and the kind of the aesthetics of his knives. And as from the blacksmithing perspective, he is very, I think he's probably one of the better, uh, if not one of the uh, you know, I would easily say he's one of the best, uh, I guess, knife makers who forge in the blacksmith, blacksmith style, uh, which is just really clean forging, forge work. Uh, he actually forged uh, an integral, I think it was a K-tip Gyudo, uh, complete brute the forge, so the bolster was all forged in and uh, blade forged out and just everything looks really clean and nice. Uh, he did an awesome job with that. Very similar to what you did uh, recently, Jeff. Um, but he, yeah, he just, he does phenomenal work. He's also a really nice kid. He's a young guy, too. He's, like, his early 20s. And so uh, I just wanted to give some love to him. And if you don't follow him, go follow him. Uh, I find his work inspirational, and I hope maybe you will, too. He's a good dude. He's out of Akron, Ohio. He's a really good dude. Yeah. It's Colony Colony Knife Company. Colony. What Knife did I say? Company. You said, well, on the notes, you wrote Culinary Knife Co. That was me. That oh. was me. Sorry. Oh, that was you. Uh, sorry, Mareko. Craig's Craig muffed it up. <laughs> there we he go. muffed I, it up. I, I wouldn't put it past me. I'm not <laughs> I, that smart. Uh, listen, he's a good dude. Colony's a good guy, man. He makes really beautiful knives. Really, be- He's a good yeah. dude. Really good dude. So that's Akron, absolutely. Ohio in the house. Jesse Wang, Ben Snur, and Colony Knife Company. And that's a show. So thank you again for listening. A reminder that we've got the forum at knifetalk.net. We've also got the past 61 episodes that are there too to listen to. And we've got a special surprise in next week's show. We shall speak to you then. Hello. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Bye. Oh, see ya. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.